0: but I've got a message to bring, because if you've been with us for the last four or five weeks, you know we've been stuck in a section of scripture, which is Ephesians six ten to 20, which is known as the armor of God, and um, there was this quote from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones that I used, whoops, let's see if I can get this to work, guys, you're going to have to click on for me, it's not moving, Oop, that's good, I'll read it out to you while they kind of reload it, oh. Are we in business? I'll read it out to you. We'll see if we can get it to work. Yes, right, thank you. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones' quote when we began this section, just this one section of ten verses of Scripture. There is nothing more urgently important for all who claim to be Christian than to grasp and to understand this particular section of Scripture. Just ten verses. And he wrote then two huge books on this section of Scripture. And the premise of our time around this has been this. The Christians, Christians, us who believe in Jesus, who say he's our Lord, we are in a battle. The enemy is strong, determined to slow us down and advancing the gospel. And without armour, you get picked off by lies and attacks. But with armour you have the ability to do what the scripture says, which is to stand, 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 and stand. It says it four times in this scripture, piece of scripture. Stand, stand, stand. So the armor is for, guess what? Standing. All right, so let's just be clear about that. I want to say that because Aaron started there, and that's actually where we we're going to end, that we would stand. We don't go chasing Satan. We don't go trying to find him. We stand against him trying to attack us. We're called to stand. Let's get that right. By standing up for Jesus and his good news, the enemy is going to come to us. And that's perhaps what the street angels and really um, talk about. When I went out with them, I went out with them a couple of weeks. I'll be going out with them next Saturday. I went on my induction kind of one. This time I'll be going as an actual angel. Um, hey, I'm an angel. Uh, next sa- uh, Saturday. And you know, you can just see, wow, the enemy is kind of around. And with the armor on, you just kind of walk through that town, able to walk through feeling confident and strong. You cover yourself in honey and stand in the middle of Yosemite Park, bears are going to come. All right, that's a fact. You cover yourself in light and you stand in a dark world and the enemy's going to come. The brighter you shine, the quicker he might come. But God says this, he said this to us, beloved, shine bright, be the light in the dark places and do not fear because I have armor for you. I have armor for you. Christians, you want to be left alone by like Satan, it's pretty easy, just don't shine. He'll never spot you in the darkness if you don't shine. But we know that's wrong. We know we're here to shine. This dark world needs us to shine. We need to share this good news. So let's get our armor on and let's do it. And I'll tell you personally from... I'll. Uh, Just to to explain, by the way, if you saw it before we started, let me just see if we can move this. There we go. The title, The Bike Pump, A Split Lip, and Mr. Miyagi. I will explain that as I go through. So I'm going to hold you in suspense to the NY. I named it that, but felt God just speak to me about something particular I wanted to talk to you about. But let's say something. I can tell you from personal experience, um, but also watching a few people, especially in recent months, closely of late, and that's why I asked George to share a bit you know, when you shine out sometimes and you're having difficulty with your armour, you're like a piñata. Satan likes to hack at the vulnerable bit he can find. He finds that vulnerability, he finds that crack, and he's not a gentleman. He's not restricted. He thinks, I've got something, I'm just going to crack away because I can see a split appearing. If you ever watched this, if you've ever done the piñata, you're looking for, you're blindfolded, and you're hoping that the person blindfolded hits the bit that's starting to crack. And he hits away at that until eventually he whacks and he's can, kind of hoping that he can split open and all the goodness and all the goodies that God's put in you just kind of just spill out all over the floor. That's what he's trying to do. You need armor. Under that armor, we can be as vulnerable and as soft and as gentle as a cardboard donkey, full of goodness and stuff to share. But picture in your mind, like you need to have armor on. Just picture a gold, a metal jacket pinata, this armored up thing. That you can whack at it as much as you are, But the arm is so strong, you just cannot get to crack the inner surface. And the goodness cannot be taken out. Think of that armour-plated piñata. Anyway, I get the last slot. I get the last piece of the armor itself. And I had a really interesting time getting ready for this. Supposed to, a a joyful time of reading scripture. If you saw my Facebook post, even in the car, trying to finish it off. And I had a difficult time of attack last night of like just trying to destroy what I felt confident to bring. I experienced that kind of moment of hang on a second, you, you, you're, you're not, this isn't any good. And I thought, no, you liar. I had to actually apply armor last night to get ready. For this morning, so I've had a really interesting time getting ready, which makes me more convinced this is right to bring. I'm going to talk about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Both of these things are amazing, and I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about it. And we're going to end up praying today, so we're going to run over. I think you've probably worked that out already, but we're going to end up praying today, and then we'll pray tonight as well, if you can make it to my house. We're going to pray, continue to pray in this space. Let's just once again look at the uh, scripture um, for the whole section up to verse, um, I think I'll go to verse 18. So we'll do 6, 10 to 18 because Aaron's going to speak on 18 next week. Let me read it to you. It's up there on the screen and I've highlighted the piece we're talking about today. But let's read the whole thing. This is Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's amazing scripture. Thank you very much. Amazing scripture. And today we're going to focus on these two specific pieces. I hope it's going to inspire you, give you some fresh passion around this topic and also a, a desire to pray into it and pray around it and, and potentially come tonight and pray with us on it as well. So get ready for quite a lot of scripture later on. It's going to be a lot of scripture coming at you. You might even want to do something radical like take some notes. That could be Interesting, you might want to just wait for Lorraine to do that dutiful thing she does on Facebook and start posting up all the references. But don't wait for her, there's some good stuff to get your head around straight away. So, we're going to go into the helmet of salvation. So, remember, so far that the, the, the armour has been the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, a shield, and now the helmet, the helmet of salvation. And like all the other items we've talked about so far, they are designed and they are there for our protection they are Christian armor for those that believe in God, and they are armor for the battle that you have now entered by declaring your allegiance to the Lord. And therefore, you need armor in this challenging time. Um, like all the other items that are for protection, we can be a little bit too simplistic about how, what we actually think of it. We can kind of think, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's kind of to protect the mind, yeah? And we can kind of leave it at that level. But, but that's actually um, too literal. This is supernatural armor in a supernatural battle. It's supernatural. So it's not just like, well, I get a thought and protect it. That is, that is a good thought to have. It's, yes, it does that too, but there's more to it than that. That's not what Paul's saying either, I don't think, in this particular letter. So let me just explain that a bit better. It's more than mind protection. Like any armor, it's only as good as what it's actually made of. So the tougher the material, the better the protection. You don't play American football in a paper chef's hat. Okay? You don't go into a battle with a helmet made of crepe paper. That crepe paper of a thin view of Christianity, a shallow view of what salvation really means. It's come out a lot in the worship today. Salvation is far more. Salvation is dense. Is a deeply dense thing of of multiple layers. You have to appreciate how dense and thick salvation is, so you realise how dense and thick this helmet could actually be. And the reason we need a helmet of salvation is rooted in an understanding of what it actually means to be saved. So, although it's true that you can say I've been saved, salvation is more than that. And we can look at one Thessalonians five. Eight. Maybe I didn't put it up there I didn't Now I'll read it to you Because it just says this Simple statement for, And for a helmet The hope of salvation So, and for a helmet The hope of salvation And Peter kind of said it out When he spoke out today That hope of salvation What we are destined to inherit in the future The salvation we need to put on Is much, much more Than just a personal acceptance That we have been saved That's true But it's the hope of salvation, what it actually means in its totality. It's something that has happened. We have been saved. We have said, Jesus Christ, would you be Lord of my life? We are being saved. It's happening right now. Talk about that again in a second. And it's something that will happen too. Eventually, we will be like him. We will inherit this new heaven and this new earth. Um, Lloyd-Jones describes this as three tenses, he says. There's three tenses of salvation. We've mentioned this before, but I want to re-emphasize it. You put, if you put your faith in Jesus and you've asked him to rule in your life, you've been saved from your past, you're being saved from your present, and ultimately you're being saved from future judgment. So past, past is justification by faith in Jesus. Through Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned. When I put my faith in him, I am wiped clean through the death on the cross. Sin has left my life. It no longer has a hold over me. We know that. But present, sanctification, we're not perfect. And there's an ongoing work going, going on in us. Terry Vogel says, you're being saved daily. Each day we stumble, but the salvation continues. Now, I've saved you from that again. I've saved you from that again. That thought, that action, that deed, I've saved you from that again. And then there's glorification. When Jesus returns and we are taken up into heaven. And if we can wrap our heads around that, the density of salvation, from my past sin, my present stumbles, and my future judgment, then we start to reshape our thinking. Ephesians 5 said, we are washed by the word of God. So whatever we did in the past, dealt with. Whatever we're doing right now, this morning, yesterday, dealt with. Whatever may come in the judgment of the future, dealt with. Romans 8.30 says this. I think I put that at the bottom. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justifies. And those whom he justifies, he also glorified. There's a false promise out there that salvation means an easy life now. Everything will be fine just now. That is a paper hat. That's a, that's a weak spot in the piñata and it gets easily hit. It's easily proven to be false. As George Shedd, tough week. So how could it be if everything's going to be right now and you believe in Jesus, but you're having difficulties? So any gospel you hear about believing Jesus and everything's just going to be peachy is a paper hat and it won't stand up in a battle. We need to take the gospel in its entirety so that we can keep going. Lloyd-Jones says, it's big, that's the problem with the church. The church has got this very narrow view and it started to promote a thin view of salvation. It doesn't appreciate what it, the huge thing it actually is, the density it has been. He says, if we carry on like that, the church will really suffer. And this was written a while ago and he has been proven kind of right. If the only salvation we offer now, and there's a lot of this online, that just believe in Jesus and things are going to turn around in an instant and everything will be great. Everything will be amazing and all your issues will disappear. All the challenges of life will go away. That's thin, it's shallow. It will take 10 minutes to knock that off the head of a novice Christian or out of us if we drift into that mindset. I only celebrate, I only worship, I only feel right with God when things are good in the world. That will fall apart because there's a promise of something far better. He's helping us now, but there's something far greater promised, which is when there is no more pain and no more suffering ahead of us. And he's helping us in this life to keep us going, remembering we have that to inherit. I said in my preamble before we even started this section a few weeks ago, please, I apologise to anyone who's been sold short a weak gospel that isn't standing up to the tests. I apologise if I've ever sold to someone a weak gospel. Come to church, believe in Jesus, everything will be sweet. If you're someone exploring Jesus today or now, let me just first say to you, it's not about sorting your life out for today. It's much better than that. It's sorting your life out forever, for all time, all time. Romans 8, 18 and 35. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us. Written by Paul. Paul was saved, people. He was saved. I hope we appreciate that. Yeah, He's describing in the difficulties of now, I consider it nothing worth comparing to what awaits me so I can keep going in the challenges of this life. And then in 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All these things will come, but they cannot separate us from the love of God and the inheritance we see in the future. So Christian soldiers, let's not be like the world, fixed on what we can only see in this moment. That's not what we're called to. We even sung it earlier, and it's kind of coming from 2 Corinthians 4.18. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, George Boyd today, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if you don't believe in Jesus, if he's not Lord of your life, life. Crack your stubborn knees and stop seeking short-term relief that you only can see to be able to find at the bottom of a beer glass, with a joint, with some kind of possessions, with money, with sexual, physical thrills. Those things will not satisfy in the long term. Salvation means you're going to get saved from your past, shaped in the present and assured of a future. That is so much better than anything that the world has to offer. No pain, no suffering, no distress. That's one heck of a dense material on which to craft a helmet. I actually need a book. Sorry, I'm just going to read a little bit from one of the books that I've been studying. It's a heavy one. This is Lloyd-Jones again. These These are great books. If you ever want to look at this close up, these are amazing books. And he said this. We have never been offered an easy time in this world. Christianity is too honest to do that. It is the politicians and the philosophers who offer such things. Christ has warned us, he he who shall endure such things, Christ has warned us, he who shall endure such things shall be saved. There shall be wars and rumours of wars. Everything will be against you and you may well think that you are finally lost and defeated. Lift up Your heads, the coming of the Son of Man draws nigh. Put on the helmet of salvation. So, let's talk about the sword of the spirit. Ah, great thing to talk about the sword of the spirit. This is a big shift of emphasis. This has been about protection so far, and now we've hit this thing this sword. And opinion will be a bit divided around the sword. There is different opinions around the swords. There's a lot of talk of what it actually is and how you actually use it. But thankfully, a little bit of study, a little bit of time looking at this, and it becomes powerfully clear. Where I think this is an issue is where we think of it naturally again, not supernaturally. And we're going to explore that. Ironically, the reason we misunderstand it is because we don't know what it does. So we need scripture sometimes to understand scripture. Now, that might be a bit confusing, but it might make sense at the end. So the first point of clarity is: it still is both it's both defensive and offensive. The sword. It's only the only part of the armor that is offensive because you can't really hit someone with a shield. You can't really, despite a character in Austin Powers called Odd Job, if you know that film, hit someone with a shoe doesn't actually work. There's a sword, and it's the only one that is offensive. But I have to point out that it is. And it is also defensive. So when you're up against a formidable foe, there's a huge part of your attack is about parrying, about blocking blows, about stopping things, and then attacking. But if you watch a sword fight or a fencing game or even a lightsaber battle, there's a lot of defending. And then occasional, then there's more defending, as more blows coming. And occasional, so it's a mixture of things happening at the same time. If, you've got a, if you're a Roman soldier, you've got a shield and a sword. So you're defending and then you're attacking. But as you can imagine, you stick a sword in your hand, you stick a sword in your hand in a battle and your mental attitude will dramatically change. So imagine the picture, you're standing there in a battlefield and you've got really good armor on and it's almost impregnable, it's tough stuff and you're standing there and there's arrows coming in and there's attack coming and you're standing there thinking, well, I'm I'm not getting, I'm feeling strong, I can stand here, I can stand, I'm good. Then someone says... Here's a sword. You think, ha ha, this is different. This is different from all of this. I can do something powerful with this. We're not just talking about standing firm. Now we're talking about repel, drive away, drive back. Bring your lies, your accusations, Satan. I have a sword. The word says, what makes Satan flee? James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee. It never says, chase him down. It never says, go find him. He will come and he will try and give you difficulty. Resist and he will flee. So we have to balance the respect for who Satan is. And unfortunately, in my spell checker, in my word, many a time, if I mistype it, that turns to Stan. So often I'm thinking the respect for the enemy stand. No, the respect for... He has a name. And he is someone of formidable power, but nothing compared to what he have. And when we get this sword in our hands, things start to dramatically change. He doesn't come to us and is feared by our armor. He just knows that that means that you are protected. But he sees a sword. Everything starts to change. So you're thinking, right? I want one. Give me one of those. not, Not a mouth thing anymore. I would think everyone. When if you didn't have a weapon as a child, you found a stick and you sharpened it. You hurt someone with something. You wanted weaponry. Every battle, you're like, well, I don't want a shield. I want something to attack my brother, my friend, whatever. My sister, in my case, she was the one stabbing me, by the way. But you're like, give me a weapon. I've had enough standing here, give me something to fight with. Well, perhaps like a samurai warrior, you've got to earn it. Or at least, if you put it in your hands, you've got to know how to use it. I don't know if you know the stories of samurai swords. I'm not sure if this is myth. I've probably just got it from Bodyguard, the movie, you know. But the theories are so sharp, very, 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 very sharp, that it can do a lot of harm if you don't know how to use it. You, know, you sort of go like that to think you put it in a sheath and just put it straight through your leg. It's like you've got to know how to use it. And things get a little bit muddy here. And I think this is what the, the, the key message for us as a church and the sort of church we're called to be. If you're in X1, Christ first, listen, this is the church we're supposed to be. And Satan doesn't like it. So we're going to come up against some challenges here. I want this to be a call to unity. I want this to be a wake up for people who've become distracted by things that are just of minor consequence and in a real battle wouldn't even figure. I want us to get us praying as a church again rather than complaining about things, praying that we are in a battle. I'm not surprised we're having a bit of a struggle, personally and corporately, because we said we're going in. 18 months ago, I said we're going in. Am I surprised that some of you are now saying, I don't really feel it or I don't like it anymore. I said I wanted us to go in. Standing, watching a battle is of no consequence. Getting involved is. We are a church of word and we are a church of the spirit. Nothing sums us up better than that. Ephesians 6 says, And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now I've got 20 pages of Lloyd-Jones I could unpack, but I'm just going to try and simplify it in the time I've got left. I will do my best. The sword is given to, to us by the spirit. The sword is not the spirit. If You want to argue with me about that? We'll talk later. It's like saying the house of Andy. All right? The house is not Andy. The house is the house. The house of Andy, the sword of the spirit. It, the house belongs to me and Jane, by the way, just to clarify in case anyone thinks we don't. She'll tell me afterwards if I don't say that. The sword of the spirit. It's, it's the spirit sword. I'm giving it to you. It's our house. I'm not giving it to you. But you know what I mean. It's like, it belongs to, it's of my possession. It is, the sword is of the Spirit. And I'm giving it to you. People mix up and think it is like wielding the Spirit around. No, it's the sword of the Spirit. That's the point you've got it. If you get that bit wrong, common misunderstanding, you totally ignore the next bit. And that's where we get unstuck. The sword is the Word of God, it is the Bible. It is the Word of God, the truth that sits in pages of Scripture, which is why Jeff just said, let me hold it for a second, this thing, and then gave it back to me. It is the Bible, pages breathed into man by the Spirit. The Bible is a book written by men through the Spirit. And so it needs to be unpacked often by the Spirit that helped create it. The Bible without the Spirit is a book, and it's not actually that good a read if you just read it like it's a book. A church that just reads the Bible, as if it's reading sections of Harry Potter, is a big book club. And eventually that will fizzle out. The same can be for us personally. Reading our Bible every day as a ritual, or something, looking at scripture online and thinking, oh, that's a nice phrase, pithy, I'll just retweet that. It's shallow. It achieves Nothing of great power without the Spirit making it come alive, which is exactly what George was saying. You need to praise, you read, that there's some revelation. Charles Spurgeon, amazing teacher, of well, amazing pastor as well, man I look to as a a great model of toughness but but a gentle heart, wrote this. The best private devotion is made up half of searching Scripture in which God speaks to us, and the other half in prayer and praise in which we speak to God. When you are dead, turn from your death, to that which still lives. Equally, as a, if a church is just all about the Spirit and nothing really solid in the Word, you become a thrill-seeking people. You want an experience. When that experience stops or even pauses, there's something goes wrong, we just lose it. We don't know what's going on, so we just grab the next church that seems to be buzzing and something going on over there, never staying, never able, never able to really settle because we're looking for the next place where it seems to be happening. There's been some amazing outpourings of the Spirit in our lifetime. If you're my age as well, you know about the amazing things that have happened. Revivals come and they go. They have seasons. I'm desperate for one now, to be frankly honest with you. But revival is not the purpose of Revival. Revival is to revive people back to Jesus, back to the Word of God, back to belief, and back to seeking Him out. Then new people start finding God because they see revival in people and they want that thing. If they just want revival, they're going to be disappointed because eventually God will say, "I've done my work. I've revived you. Now press on with the work I've given to you, and you'll need the Word of God for that." I feel revival is coming. I'm desperate for it in my nation, but it's not the revival I actually seek. It's the people revived in Christ that I seek and I desire. So to be clear, the sword is the Word of God. It's only the Word of God. It's not the essence of God, the themes of Christianity. It's the specific Word of God, alive by the Spirit, and it is powerful, it's alive, it's living. And as Jimmy said, it's really sharp, like a scalpel kind of uh, it's very, very sharp. Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and active, it's actually just sharper than any two-edged sword. So sharp, and anything we would know, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and attentions of the heart. And there's evidence of how powerful and how critical that power is, and it's found in the life of Jesus himself, who we're supposed to follow. It's found in Jesus. Filled with the Spirit is baptism. If you look at Matthew 3, he immediately goes and is tempted in the desert for 40 days, tempted 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself. What does Jesus do? Does he stand there like some Disney wizard swirling things around? Does he try a Jedi force push? No, he starts to quote scripture at him. I can't read the whole thing. This would be a whole teaching in its own right, but let me at least read a bit of Matthew 4. Straight after his baptism, he gets filled with the Spirit, says, descended upon him. And this happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. And then he quotes the, the scripture. Later on, he says to the devil, still trying to tempt him. And again, it is written. Be gone, Satan, for it is written and the devil left him. If Scripture, this Deuteronomy, good enough for Jesus to repel Satan, it must be good enough for me. We're supposed to be a church of people who look to the Word of God to be revealed by the Spirit and be active in us. That means we partner with the Spirit. We partner with Him that it would truly mould us and shape us. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We need the spirit to help us understand just what's in the Bible. Here's something a little bit controversial, maybe, but I think it's pretty sound. Satan does not want you reading your Bible. Shock, horror. Doesn't want you reading it. Why? I asked myself that question. I got the answer because it's a sword you dummy Satan is not threatened by your armour I said it before but with a sword he's actually in danger of you actually causing some damage and wounding him and destroying his arguments making him flee picture all those shields Aaron showed the picture last week all those shields lined up it's great isn't it okay thinking well shields good I can't probably I can't I'm struggling to find a crack is that a sword I can see hang on a second they've got swords they've got swords swords Not so sure now. I'm not going in. I could go in and I could I fire arrows. I could go in on shields, but I think I see swords glinting in the light. I'm I'm backing off. So, who has a time when they're reading their Bible when it really works, and then a season when they're reading it and it's just so hard? And I just think I'm just reading and I don't know what's going on here. I'm just reading some words. And I'm reading them again and I can't remember what I just read so I better read it for the third time. If that hasn't happened to you, you're living a charm life, you're too shy or you just don't read your Bible at all. What we'll be praying into soon is for the Spirit to unlock afresh in us or maybe anew, the Bible to us, the Word of God. That what's going in is not lost but starts to reshape us from inside. The more Scripture that goes in the sharper the weapon can become. So it's time to tell you the uh, the bike pump story. In fact, I'll come back to Mr. Miyagi in a minute. The bike pump story. So when I was a kid, I was in my... I think I was probably about 12 or 13. I had a really good friend. His name was Frank McFarlane. And Frank was a fantastic guy. Frank studied martial arts I don't know when he started but Frank would be continually making martial you would talk to Frank you'd be chatting about something, having a and he'd be just sitting there going like this and you'd be going hey, for hours, we'd be working in the studio together, and we'd be doing work because that's how I knew Frank and kind of we'd be recording looking at Frank and Frank's just like this in the corner, you think what are you doing mate he was great at the robot by the way lots of moves going on but Frank could just he was continually and he'd be doing this all day long Continually, and we lived in a cul-de-sac over in um, North Harrow, and we were good friends. He stayed with his auntie um, during the summer, which is how we kind of met. And it was like open doors, so you could walk in and in and out of each other's houses quite often. And I borrowed a bike pump from Frank from the house, and I decided to take it back. So I walk into Jean's house, and Frank was there because he was babysitting. And I walked in like this. And I, put, I went through the door. And as I went through the door, Frank's arm came up, knocked it flying out of my hand, locked my arm and punched me in the face. In about a second and a half. He just went, bang! And it hit me and split my lip. I'm like, and he, I'm within a split. Frank's like, Andy! And I'm like, Frank! As he punched me so fast and hard... And I was reeling. All that, in one second, bang, he just took me down. (laughs) Have you seen The Karate Kid? Wax on, wax off, paint the fence. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence. If you don't know this story, Mr. Miyagi gets his poor kid, Daniel's son, to keep waxing off, waxing off car after car, and and paint his fence that goes on forever. And he's like going... And then Daniel's son gets mad. He says, what are you doing? He says, watch, wax on. And he goes to hit him and shorten the story. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence, wax on, wax... All that stuff going in, going in, going in. Thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? In the moment of the fight with Frank, all that stuff went in. Frank just bang. Daniel's son's, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. There was other things, cranes and all that kind of stuff going on. But... There's a lot going on. But in the final battle, suddenly you see everything that's been going on. Why am I doing this thing? It's not doing... Suddenly it all just comes together in the moment of battle. There it is. It's an amazing story. You have to partner with the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible and ask Him, help me in this. Reveal stuff to me, even if I'm not feeling it, because I know the time will come when suddenly, in the moment, whether it's witnessing to someone, counselling, meeting a non-believer, suddenly, bang, bang, I've got it. I didn't know it was going in, but it's come out. We partner with him in it. We have to get it in, invest in it. I need to do it. You need to do it. I don't do it enough. You don't do it enough. I'm sure I'll be probably honest with most of us. We need to do it more, get more in. Not that we quote like Doc Cotton with pointless, just things completely out of context, like memory verses. We've remembered all this stuff. Application, understanding, in the battle. Fight, fight, off, off. Satan, lie, 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 cut, cut, daft, daft, all coming out in that moment. Luke 12, 12 says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Praise God. He will pull it out of us, but we need to get it in us. It can't come out just nowhere. There is moments when stuff comes from Revelation, but most of the time it's because we're putting it in by the Spirit saying, we just want it to go in so it comes out. So when you or others are being attacked by lies or self-worth or anger or danger or doubt, you repel the enemy. That cannot be right. That cannot be right. I know that because scripture says. I'm going to overrun. Is that all right? Good. Oh, well, five of you stay, the rest go have coffee. Um, Aaron's going to have a right gammy after this. Right, so when you're being attacked, you know you can actually fight them off. Reading your Bible in truth, truth in, truth out, truth in, truth out, truth in, say it, truth in, truth out, say it, truth in, truth out, Amen. Church, I do love you so deeply, but it is time for some of us, and some of us are mature Christians, to kind of have a growth spurt again. To remind ourselves, not being fooled. Don't think there's some app for this stuff. To make it shortcut, and you can just do a little bit, and it'll all work out. There's no shortcut if you want to fight off attack and fight off doubt. There's a reason some of us are struggling, or we're struggling now, often because there's a lack of investment, not enough training in the word that actually shapes me and molds me. I read it, but it doesn't really go in and change me. Training is hard. I watched Joel, my son, train uh, last year when he was training for high jump. This week he won a district sort of local thing. High jump six, one, six, one, one meter sixty one. That's way over Sue's head, by the way. Just jumped over. That didn't happen by chance. He didn't walk up one day and think, right, I guess you kind of jump backwards, do you? He trains. I watched him train. And most of his training actually was not actually jumping. He was just running up. He would run, he would measure his runs. He'd run up and he'd just go like that at the end. And go back and think, how boring is that? Why are you interested, Joel? You should be playing football. But he's like, running up. Yep. And he just did that for ages. Then right at the end, he just did a couple of jumps. He was building up the muscle memory It was repetitious. It was a bit boring. Sometimes it seemed to lack an actual ending. It didn't reach anything. And yet he was building up muscle memory. So on the day, it was just second nature. Invest in the sword, even if you're not feeling it. There's no jump. I don't seem to be able to jump at the end. I'm just sort of doing the run-up training. Believe me. You're sharpening your sword for when the moments come, when it's needed. Get yourself into Ephesians again. Have another read of it. It's amazing. Read it. Ingest it till it becomes muscle memory and then you can move on to something else in scripture maybe we're in Ephesians, why not read it again a bit slower, ask God to help you really take it in I'm not just talking about those who are new to the faith I'm talking about us who have been long term Christians we often find ourselves struggling because we don't counteract lies and our own attitudes with the word of God I can't be right to be feeling this way because scripture says these things shouldn't be around me get a passion to read we get into reading too many books about the Bible and not actually reading the actual Bible. I'm not decrying commentaries. I have a lot. I have books. But the focus must be on Scripture. That's the most reliable thing I have in my life. It's not enough just to hold your shield up. You've got to get the sword out. Charles Spurgeon, in a sense, again said this. A man with one book, if that book is the Bible, is a man, for he is a man of God. Cling to the living word and let the gospel of your fathers, let the gospel of, your, of the martyrs, let the gospel of the reformers, let the gospel of the blood washed multitude before the thrones of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, be your gospel and none but that. And it will save you and make you the means of saving others to the praise of God. That was written on a bulletin board a seven-ish page letter pinned to a bulletin board. If I go to a bulletin board of most churches, it's like Zumba classes and mums and toddlers. Spurgeon puts the sword of God on and gets the church to read that on a bulletin board. 90% of the pastoral issues I have to deal with these days are fundamentally at odds with Scripture. What I'm dealing with is Scripture says this and you're doing that or feeling that or saying that. It's often a lie I'm just trying to say, when I do it right, I'm trying to just say what scripture says. So I think I've got it here, Ephesians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So when I hear of painful disputes between brothers and sisters, and I feel Satan's plot. I've been there and I've, I've... Minister to two people who I love, and I'm just thinking, Satan's like going, I've got them fighting, got them arguing, got them annoyed with each other. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm trying to just speak the word of God, and it doesn't happen instantly. It just has to dwell in and and work itself through. So if you're angry, and Satan says you're right to be angry, look at what they did, look what they said, look what they did over all those different incidences. And you get mad. My question has to be, do you love your brother or your sister? And if you love them, 1 Corinthians 13, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. And that's what we will pursue. We can't have disputes with one another. Ephesians 4.2 With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. you got issues with an elder. Don't gossip. Don't complain to others. 1 Timothy 5 will tell you how to deal with it. Read 1 Timothy 5. It will tell you how to deal with it. And then come and talk to us. Don't want to come to church anymore. Don't feel it. Don't want to come out often. Hebrews 10, 25. Don't give up meeting together because. Read that. Satan comes like an accuser, knocking you down. Up with your shield, out with your sword. Cut the lie. Cut the lie. Cut the lie. You're worthless. No, Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In the image of God himself. How can that be true? I cannot be worthless. I'm made in his image. Worried God's left you, not feeling his presence, dry. Satan loves that, loves blaming the church, loves blaming you, loves you blaming God. He fires that arrow in and he fires it in where he can see your vulnerability. If you feel that way at any time, find Romans 8 and say this to the, to the enemy who would try and make you dry, distracted away from I don't feel him anymore. No, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us and me from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. No, no, no. No. When you slipped up again, fallen and Satan says you blew it feel dry, you feel condemned. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has put us to life. We are free in Jesus. We are free from sin and death. Can we stand and I will pray? Can we stand?